Hey, it's Michael, and I've got something for you to consider as we dive into this week's episode. Do you believe that light can always drive out the darkness? Welcome to the follow-up question. I'm your host, Michael Ashford. Come with me on a journey as I explore what it means to find common ground at a time when it feels increasingly harder to do so. To listen more than we speak so that we can understand that our differences don't have to divide us. My aim with this show is to bring you perspectives and ways of looking at issues or topics that perhaps you haven't considered before. To teach you how to ask more, better questions so that we might become more reachable as people. I'm a former journalist who believes everyone has a story to tell, and it's only when we ask questions and listen that we reveal what connects us as humans. Our dreams, our desires, our experiences, our ideas, and what we stand for rather than what we are against. I went to the grocery store recently on a Sunday afternoon which is usually a big mistake because I don't know about where you live, but Sunday afternoons in my town are the time when seemingly everyone does their grocery shopping. I try to avoid it because of this, but on this particular Sunday, I had no choice. We were pretty much out of all of our food at home. Anyway, on this day, when I finally got to the checkout lane, the teenage cashier started ringing up my items and asked me the obligatory, Hi, how are you? Did you find everything you needed? Instead of giving in to the rush and the desire to get out of there, I answered, I did, thank you. How are you doing today? Has it been a busy day for you? Well, the cashier's face lit up. Yes, but thank goodness it's almost over, she said with relief in her voice. I've been here since seven this morning and I'm almost done for today and I have got so much to do. It was at this point where I had a choice to make. Be present in this moment or shrug it off and move on with my day. And I chose to dig in. Come to find out, she was just a couple supervised hours away from getting her driver's license. That's what she had to do after work. And I asked her, what are you gonna do when you get your license? And she talked about how she wanted to drive out on a country road and experience that freedom of just being by herself out there with no one else around. It was a pretty awesome moment as I bagged my groceries, having this conversation with someone I had never met before. But you could tell it meant so much to her that someone would even ask. Okay, so the point of me telling you this story about my conversation with a teen grocery store cashier is because it's the perfect setup to what my guest and I discuss in this episode here this week of the follow-up question, and the point is simple. There's a lot more good in the world than there is hate. You just have to avoid getting sucked into the hate machine and instead look for the many small instances where the opportunity for good occurs in the small things. My guest this week is Adam Wilkinson, or Wilk, as he likes to go by for short. He's a firm believer that light drives out darkness, and when we focus on bringing a little more light into the world, we do something Wilk calls derate the hate. We give hate less room to invade. As it were, Wilk shares this message as the host of the Derate the Hate podcast. He wants you and me and everyone to accept that while we cannot always control everything that happens to us and in the world around us, We can control how we respond, even in the moments when we disagree. And there's an awful lot of hate in the world right now, right? I mean, let's just start there. Gosh, it seems overwhelming at times, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's 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 incredibly unfortunate, and and uh, I think a lot of people get discouraged because. All they see is the hate, and they don't they don't realize that there's a lot of good out there too, because because the hate gets the the majority of the attention. But yeah, there there is more than more than I want to see. I'll tell you that, Michael. 
I, I agree with you on that point for sure, man. Uh, so discouragement, how do you not get discouraged? What, what drives you in the work that you do with your show, your podcast? Yeah. How do you not get discouraged when we, so much of this is bombarding us? I do. I, I mean, I think I do just like anybody else. I be, you know, I've got feelings. I, you know, this week I, I've got, got an incredibly heavy heart based on, on recent events, but you know, I think I just realized that staying in that doldrum of victimhood or, or, or sadness or depression will not get the job done. We need to stay positive. We need to look at the positive. We need to accentuate the positive in any way we can. And a lot of that comes with gratitude. So, you know, I'm grateful for the things that I have. I, I try not to focus on the on the bad that's around me, and uh, I try to focus primarily on on all those things in my life that that I can be grateful for, and all the things that the world has to offer that they can be grateful for. So let's put this in really practical terms of of what you just alluded to earlier, Wilk. Um, we're recording this in the wake of the Buffalo mass shooting at the Topps grocery store, you know, you said focus on the positive. And I think to some people, perhaps that might feel maybe even impossible, but for you, how do you, what, what are you focusing on in, in the wake of what we're dealing with yet again? Uh, another one of these. Well, I, I will, I will just say that the people that do these things, these whether it be a um, whether it be a eighteen-year-old white supremacist that wants to rid our country of people that don't look like him, or whether it's a um, black supremacist or black nationalist that that goes in and starts firing at people indiscriminately on a subway, or or somebody who, you know, rams their car through a parade of old ladies in, in, you know, that are just out for a walk. Those people are a very, very small segment of the overall population. They, they represent such a minute group that have a big spotlight because of the evil act that they did is so so heinous it gets so much attention but just like swimming in the ocean not everybody's going to get attacked by a shark but it's one of the things that most people are afraid of when swimming in the ocean is being attacked by a shark it's a very very small subset of the people that will actually have this happen and the world has a lot of positivity to provide that hate is just a small segment. And we as individuals have to focus on all the good that's around us rather than constantly being bombarded and focusing on all the negative. If that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And it, it, it brings up, you talk a lot on your podcast. Uh, I've, I've seen you talk on or write perhaps on social media about, and you just referenced it there, the personal responsibility that we have to to use your show's name, to derate the hate, to bring down the level of hate. Um, you talk a lot about personal responsibility and personal accountability and affecting what you can control and your response to those things. In a situation like this that we're we're currently living through, or any of the other, you know, episodes like this, where I agree, it's it's not the everyday norm. We are exposed to it because of everything that goes on around us. Where do where do the solutions then come from when we see these things? Like where I'm not making sense, perhaps, with my question, but whose responsibility is it then? in these instances, when these events take place, who steps up and tries to de-escalate or derate the hate in these instances where it may not be, you know, I'm, I'm in Denver, Colorado. That's a long ways away from Buffalo, New York. Whose responsibility is it? 
Well, I think it's all of our responsibility. It's each of our responsibilities as an individual to control what we can can control inside our own bubble. I mean, we, you know, we obviously don't have the ability to interact with everybody. You and I have a platform, thankfully, that we get to reach out to to people. And we have mutual friends, uh, mutual mutual people that we've talked to on our podcast, Michael, who who do the same thing. They do they reach out and try to be a person of influence in in every way that they possibly can. People who used to live that life of hate and and basically basically a life filled with evil and misery and hate. And, and they've been able to escape that life. And, and by bringing awareness to people like our, our friend Jeff Scoop or, or guys mm-hmm. like Daryl Davis who, who have spent their whole lives trying to de-radicalize the radicals, um, you know, we just, we just have to do what we can do. You know, not everybody has a platform like you and I do, and that's, that's fine, but they can do what they can do within their own bubble, their own sphere of influence by, you know, bringing a smile, uh, uh, you know, in, in a, in a rough situation that, that maybe, um, maybe that's what that, that person they're any interacting with on any given day needs that j- they just need that one smile or, uh, you know, saying, please saying, thank you. It, it doesn't even have to be these, these monumental or, or big acts on any given day. Sometimes it's just a please and a thank you. Sometimes it's a pay it forward in a drive-through. Sometimes it's holding the door for a complete stranger and and not expecting anything in return, just holding the door and, and walking on. Go, you know, these types of things, they snowball. I mean, they are they are ultimately the small things that lead to big things that lead to bigger things that make our society better. Why don't you think enough? I'm, I'm projecting this out on people perhaps right now, but I'll make the assumption that, that somebody would hear what you just said and say, that's not enough. Like we've got big issues and yeah, I like the feel good of what you're saying there, Wilk, but that's not enough. Like me paying it forward in the drive-thru. I need something bigger. What would you say to that? Well, <laughs> it's, I think that really comes from people with a mindset that, that they need this instant gratification. They need, they need some kind of big payday. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's just like somebody that says, well, you know, I'm not going to work for $10 an hour. I deserve $50 an hour. So I'm going to sit at home and starve because I'm not going to work for $10 an hour. Well, you got to start somewhere. I don't care if it's small. You know, we can only control so many things in our given lives. Some people, like I said, some people have bigger platforms than others. You know, there's people out there with, you know, tens of thousands of followers and, and, and millions of downloads. Some of those people do things for good. Some of them don't. But everything that happens in this world has to start somewhere. Most of those things start, especially the good things, Michael, they start as a little mustard seed, you know, as a little mustard seed that eventually can grow into this big monstrosity of a structure that that maybe millions or, or hundreds of thousands of birds build these magnificent nests and, and things in. But it started as a little tiny mustard seed, you know, and you just don't know who you're going to affect, how you're going to affect them, um, what little thing can lead to a bigger thing. Instant gratification is one of the worst things that we can, um, one of our worst enemies in a personal situation. Like I said, if we don't want to start because we don't like the idea of starting small, we may never get to the big. And that's good stuff, Wilk. Um, 
you've mentioned your platform a couple times. I'm interested how you came to want to even begin to broach this topic with your podcast, Derate the Hate. Uh, how did it come to be that this was the topic that you wanted to dedicate your platform to, to helping solve? Well, truth be told, I spent an awful lot of my life miserable. I did. Mm. I, uh, I was not a happy person for a very, very large part of my life. And I started to figure out what made me so unhappy and what made me hateful in, in many circumstances. Now, I, I was never, uh, you know, I, I've never, I would never have been considered um, by any, any rational person, as far as I'm concerned, never been considered, you know, like a racist or, or a, or a, you know, some kind of supremacist radical or, or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. personally, I was a miserable person and I started diving into the small things that made me miserable and trying to figure out what it was going to take to fix that. Um, That started with personal accountability, understanding that it was nobody else's job to fix me, accept me. And that's where it really started. And then the Derate the Hate podcast actually started as a, um, it it was really not even going to be what it turned into be. What it was really going to be was a, uh, like a haters happy hour. And I was going to point out all the things that people said to me online uh, when I would respond to different articles or, or write something on my personal blog uh, or, you know, I had a, uh, uh, a, a t-shirt business for a little while and, and people would say these, just these just hateful things. So it started out and that's what it was going to be. And then it turned into something else. And then I started realizing how, how the media, uh, would basically, um, perpetuate this, this victim mentality and this hateful, uh, rhetoric and and they didn't really report on the news anymore. They just actually did stuff to to stir the pot rather than broadcast the news. So and then you know obviously uh, I don't talk a lot about politics on the Derate the Hate podcast, but considering a lot of the hate that we see in our world is a direct result of the politicians and their ad hominem attacks on each other and and you know whatever it's it's hard to separate so so it just kind of started to take on a life of its own um but it, it's it really it's it's been an incredible experience because it's turned into something so much better than it was ever meant to be and it just keeps on getting better i'm interested why you didn't like what stopped you from going down the route of you know, confronting the haters, <laughs> the the online commenters. What stopped you from going down that initial intent that you had with the show? Well, quite honestly, it was it was one of those deals where if I thought somebody, if I thought one of the haters was going to bring to the table something something of value. I wouldn't mind having that conversation if I really did. But what I started to figure out quickly was the people that brought so much hate online, um, you know, threatening me, threatening my family, you know, wishing horrible things upon me. The things that they were bringing to the table had no great value. And, And it really wasn't going to do anything in the grand scheme of things other than show people more of what they were already seeing online. So instead, mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to accentuate and and perpetuate a mindset that there are people out there a lot a lot of great great people out there trying to better the world versus just spew this venomous toxicity on social media like so many people do. So that's why I kind of took it in a different direction. I just 
figured those people already had a platform. They were already doing what they were doing. I just wanted to take it in a different direction. <laughs> Why amplify them even further, right? <laughs> right, right. Like I said, you know, I say it a lot of times on the podcast, Michael, those who know the least say it the loudest. And uh, some of these people that spew this venomous toxicity, they've got lots and lots of followers because that, that venom sells. It sells soap and it's it's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah, it is. Like you just said, it is unfortunate and and so true. And you even mentioned, you know, one of the things I said in my TEDx talk, my first one was, you know, the the national mainstream media. I don't care which channel or or affiliate you you watch. It's entertainment designed to keep you there, not to inform you. And, and that is, as a former journalist myself, one of the absolute most frustrating things about how media is incentive incentivized, um, how they want to keep you there rather than actually give you useful information, no matter what, like I said, what channel you you prescribe to or subscribe to. So uh, it's just frustrating. Um, something you mentioned, though, that you were, I'll paraphrase it as you said, you were a miserable person. What was making you miserable, Wilk? Well, I think mostly me. I mean, the things that I focused on, um, you know, focusing more on what I didn't have rather than what I did have, uh, I think is a big thing. Um, you know, it, this is something I talk about on the podcast quite often, and that's the reticular activating system and, and the perpetual victim mentality. And with those two things combined, it's very easy for a person. It's a lot easier for a person to be miserable than it is for them to be happy. And I, and I say that because it is oftentimes a lot easier to focus on what's bad in our life. The things that the, 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 the few things that are bugging us tend to stick with us a lot more than the stuff that makes us happy. And the reticular activating system only allows our brain to focus on so many things at any given time. And being humans, we then seek out things, seek out points of affirmation to prove what our brain is telling us. So what happens is the guy that cut me off in traffic today or um, the you know, the, the person that didn't recognize my whatever at work or, um, you know, the fact that I, I didn't have enough money to buy whatever XYZ product this week that I really, really wanted, but I didn't have it. Those things tend to stick out in our mind and then they capture what our mind the 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 focus that we have available in our mind so then we become miserable instead of focusing on the 97 things great that happened today our brain focuses on the three things that were bad and then we easily fall into this pattern of everything's bad because we can only focus on so much and our brain looks for these points of affirmation and I'm, i've already decided that i'm miserable and now I'm going to keep on finding things that are miserable. I was in that boat. I was in that boat strongly. And I never really projected that perpetual victim mentality to people, I don't think. But I certainly wasn't happy. And a lot of people didn't want to be around me because who wants to be around somebody who's miserable? You know, I didn't even want to be around me. So it it it's one of those things where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You become miserable, you seek out points of affirmation to convince yourself and continue to convince yourself you're miserable. And in doing so, more stuff to make you miserable shows up. It's like magic. <laughs> I heard it recently, or I actually read it on LinkedIn. I think somebody posted it that uh, it said, did you have a bad day or did you have a bad five minutes and you milked it for all that it was worth? <laughs> thought, That's as you were saying that, that remind that reminded me of that. Uh, you you mentioned gratitude and the fact that um, 
you know, you realized it was your own personal responsibility to not be miserable. How did that, how did you come to that? How did that change your mindset? Was there a moment or was there a conversation that snapped you out of it for lack of a better phrase? You know, I don't think I can pinpoint an exact moment. Um, you know, over the, the past, um, 12 years, let's say, uh, since my father died, my life changed immensely from, uh, from what it used to be to what it is now. And, and a lot of that change came in the past 12 years. So not to get too deep into that, but I realized that my life had to change and mm. I had to change in order to make my life change. Um, I'm not even going to pretend my life is perfect right now, but it is a hell of a lot better than it was then, you know, just because of the person I am now versus the person I was then, you know, I, I, I used to, you know, I, I used to be the kind of person who would yell and scream and sometimes break things. And, you know, and it didn't even have to be because anybody else was there. You know, I just apparently like buying stuff twice because I, I would break it, <laughs> you know, um, more you're so soft spoken than... now, Wilk. I can't, I'm, I'm not, I'm having a hard time picturing this, <laughs> right? Right. Well, and, and that's not the first time that I've heard that, but yeah, I mean, now it's, it's, it's very uncommon for me to yell now, thankfully. Uh, but people that knew me 20 years ago would not believe that. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I started to realize that, you know, yelling was loss of control, you know, and I didn't like the fact that there were times where I could not control myself. You know, yelling, breaking yeah. stuff, having to buy stuff again because I broke it, uh, having to buy stuff for other people because I broke their stuff or, you know, losing friendships, uh, you know, things like that. And so to pinpoint it to any specific moment, um, no, but I, I don't think so. But, you know, at some point, I think most people have to get to a point where they realize that, you know, children throw fits, children yell and break stuff. And I don't want to be a child anymore. So um, that may sound harsh for some people, but I think it's true. I would characterize what you just said as there's a level of maturity needed to begin to have more nuanced realizations about yourself, but also about the world around you. And one of the things that you touch on, I've, I've heard it in recent episodes of your podcast, Wilk, is uh, you've repeated the phrase, just because we disagree does not mean we hate each other or it does not have to mean we hate each other or disagreements don't equal hate, I believe is, is, is one way that you phrased it. And that yeah. kind of flows into what you you were just talking about this, this realization that uh, one thing does not equal the other. And, and I'd love for you to kind of explain what you mean by that, that disagreement does not equal hate, because I think this is, from an emotional maturity standpoint, one of the things that we get so, so very wrong in general as a society today. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it really comes down to emotional intelligence. And uh, there's a certain group of people, I don't think it's all, and, and, and I think sometimes it's just a very narrow group that equates a differing opinion as some kind of a personal attack or um, the idea that this is my truth and anything you say that counters what my truth is is now somehow a personal attack on me. So naturally, I'm going to hate somebody who's attacking me. So they equate a differing opinion or they equate a, um, a, a disagreement to some type of hatred, but, um, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And I, I think uh, the word that you talked about there a few minutes ago, maturity, uh, maturity, emotional intelligence, the ability to, understand that disagreement is not hate is is part of 
just being a better human being. You know, you and I do not have to agree on um, anything, whether it be the current state of politics and or the, um, you know, one of the hot hot button issues in the news today of, uh, you know, women's reproductive rights and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, um, um, why is it escaping my brain right now? The, you know, <laughs> women's reproductive rights and the rights of an unborn child, you know, mm, there, right. there are, are, are differing degrees of the way that can be talked about, but it can be talked about in a civil manner. And, and I think reasonable people can disagree on, on, where to draw the lines on those certain things, but the way things are phrased so often now, whether it be in the political arena or in the mainstream media or by the, the people who are, are frankly have a vested interest in whoop, you know, whooping up anger and animosity on social media, the way that things are phrased, it's almost like one, you know, you've got to take one side or the other and then, they make it so there's a battle line in there, you know, battle line in between, and we have to hate each other because of it. But that's not that's not the thing. If people have better conversations, if he, if people ask better questions, if people realize that, you know, if I'm on this side, it doesn't mean I hate you because you believe the other way, and, and you don't have to hate me because I believe this way. Because I how the reason the way that I came to my uh, belief and understanding of the topic can be a very, um, very big part of that, that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just like, uh, a conversation that I had, um, back in, uh, and, and actually this, this, uh, th- this has come up on the podcast again, uh, on the D rate day podcast, it'll be coming out again, but a conversation I had with Chris Singleton, Chris Singleton is a, is a young man whose mother was killed in the, uh, Mother Emanuel church shooting in in uh, in uh, North Carolina back mm. in 2015, uh, or maybe South Carolina. I, for some reason, it escapes me right at the moment. But yeah, it's escaping you know, me as well. Yeah, yeah. But but the reality is 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 so. And the reason, obviously, it came up again this week is because of um, what just happened in Buffalo, New York. Right. You know, him and I had a conversation, and the conversation that we had was an incredible one. And I personally grew up around guns my entire life. I, I've, I've never, uh, since, since I was in my teens, I've not, not owned a, a firearm. You know, mm-hmm. now I own several, you know, it's just the way that I grew up. Uh, I, I like them. I like them for hunting. I like them for sporting. I, I like them for, for a number of reasons, but it doesn't matter why I like them. And he is a person obviously who has a great, um, animosity towards firearms as well he should uh, because of what happened to his mother at that church from a white supremacist okay and mm-hmm. but just like he talks about in the conversation that him and I had one of his best friends carries a gun all the time but he never shows it to him and they don't discuss it and him and I you know, we don't have to hate each other because I love guns and he he hates them. That's not what defines us as an individual. It's a simple or it's a single part of who we are and what we like, but there's no reason to hate each other because of, of something like that. So so there's a there's so many examples of how people can um agree to disagree on certain topics without having to hate the other person because we don't agree on that particular topic. I just started, there's a lot of rambling, a lot of long answer there, but I loved it, man. I was just, I was just listening and taking it all in. Uh, I can't wait to hear that conversation with Chris. Uh, my goodness that, yeah, gosh, I'm, I'm waiting now for that conversation without giving it away. I want to ask you without giving away the whole episode, obviously, what was your what was your biggest takeaway from your conversation with Chris? Love is stronger than hate. 
You know, mm. that that's his message. I mean, that is his message. You know, forgiveness, uh, being able to, and, and this episode is actually, it, it was back in episode 86 of the Dear Right Day podcast that I had the initial conversation with him. And I, and I just, this week I felt so strongly moved to to play that one again. I, I, I made some comments and, and put together a new episode with the same conversation. Um, okay, so I can go listen to it now. <laughs> you can. Yep, episode eighty six. <laughs> okay, episode eighty six with Chris Singleton. Um, I'll link it in the show man. notes it, as well. Yep, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's an incredible young man. He 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 does some incredible work speaking to schools, speaking to students, uh, speaking to um, Fortune five hundred companies, and uh, but his attitude is incredible. Love is stronger than hate, and forgiveness is not for the person who did you wrong so much as it's for the person who you are you know it's it's for me to be able to move beyond that event that uh you know that that caused so much and that's that's kind of why i brought it up in this week's podcast is because you know like we were talking about earlier michael with the with the uh um this evil person that did this evil act in Buffalo, New York. Okay. Hating this human being will do nothing to help you or help me. I hate what he did. I, I, I am sickened by what he did. It's an evil act. And, and if I had my way, he would not see the light of another day. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not going to lie to you. That's, that's my personal opinion. That is what justice is. Mm-hmm. But, we cannot allow the hatred, whether it's the hatred of a perceived injustice in, in that he doesn't get the kind of justice that we think he deserves today or whatever. We have to realize that he will somehow, some way have to answer, whether it be in this life or the next, for what he did. And by you or me or anybody else, spending one more second hating him does nothing because hate you can't battle hate with hate you know you you just can't it's part of the conversation that that i had and i know you had with with jeff scoop you can't battle hate with hate it's not gonna accomplish anything because more often times than not that hate will just eat us up and make things worse in our life so like that conversation i had with chris singleton forgiveness it doesn't mean i forgive him and i want him out walking around and and walk on the streets and he can just go do what he's going to do no i still want justice but that forgiveness you know he talks about being able to forgive his mother's killer that forgiveness was for him not specifically for the killer that was another very important lesson i had to learn in my life was was looking at people who have done me wrong and certainly I've never had anything, you know, I've not had anything comparable to that in my life, but I've had to look back on my life and things that the animosity I had for certain people that did certain things to me in my life. And I had to realize, you know, by continuing to hate them, you know, by continuing to hate the the people who bullied me when I was a child or the, or the you know, different things that happened uh, over the course of my life, but continuing to hate them, it did nothing, you know, going back to, you know, how I decided to change. That was one of the things that, that was one of the big things that it took, uh, for me to change was literally going back through my mental inventory of things that have happened in my life and saying, it's time to move beyond this. I can't let it eat me up anymore. So it's it's just part of the deal. Something you said there is so uh, I just want to reiterate it for the people listening is that it's not that consequences aren't deserved. Uh, and you didn't phrase it that way, but there are certainly consequences that need to happen. But our ability to affect those consequences, we need to take stock of that, right? And and perfect. the hate yeah, will not. not con- yeah, the hate will not do anything to further those consequences. You can hate the action even, but, (laughs) um, 
Something you said earlier as we kind of begin to wrap things up here, Wilk, that I'd, I'd love to kind of start to, to bring it home and land this is you mentioned the phrasing that we use and the language that we use. Um, how do we, you know, if we recognize, okay, disagreement does not have to equal hate, but then when we're faced with disagreement, it's real quick to go from zero to 100, <laughs> uh, real quick out of the gate because there are so many emotions wrapped up in the big issues that we, we we face as a society these days. Language and phrasing and how we talk to people has got to be super important. What have you learned and what have you found in the interviews that you've done and the, the own personal work that you've done on yourself to de-escalate and derate the hate that can come in these conversations? Right. Well, no, that's a fantastic question. And and I think the first thing that I would say when it comes to that is you are absolutely right. Words matter. Words matter greatly. But what also matters is our ability to react to things um, logically instead of emotionally. Um, when we allow our emotions to dictate our actions, quite often bad things will happen. So I take it back to personal accountability in that when somebody says something to me, I cannot control what somebody is going to say. I cannot control what somebody is going to do. I cannot control a lot of the things that happen around me. What I can control and what I have to be conscious of at all times is I have the ability to react to it in a logical and sensible way. So when it comes to words, especially, and like I said, words matter. I hate what has happened. I mean, I, I don't even like, I mean, obviously I'm looking to derate the hate. Yeah. But when, you, when you think about hating something, I am disgusted by what has happened to our language in that, there are a lot of people out there that want to be able to control what we say and what we think and, and things like that. But the reality is, is, is I should be able to listen to the words that somebody has to say and make my own judgment as to whether or how I'm going to react to them, you know. If somebody, you know, if somebody wants to call me names or, um, you know, say something bad about my family or, or say something, whatever, at least I know who that person is now. At least they're not hiding it, you know, and I have, by me having that ability to take that and react to it in a positive way it almost makes me stronger. You know, it almost makes me a better person knowing that I can, and I'll go back to personal accountability and control and not liking the person I was when I lost control, you know, and obviously I'm not inviting people to say horrible <laughs> things about me or my family. I mean, if that's what yeah, they please want to do, don't. fine. Yeah. <laughs> please but, <don't. laughs> but the reality is, is, it's going to get said. People say it. I mean, just from the nature of some of the stuff that I do, I hear some very hateful things. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to say it. And again, it almost makes me stronger being able to listen to that and say, you know what? I can still react in a positive way because I can control me. Did that make sense? It absolutely sense. does. Yeah. And, and as you were talking, I, I, I pulled up something on my phone because uh, the organization Braver Angels posted this this week, you know, four tips for having a better conversation. And one of the things I was thinking about as you were saying that, Wilk, was one of their four tips was do not apply your own labels to the other person's position. Like you're a big government liberal or you're an anti-immigrant conservative. Those labels, that phrasing does nothing but seed division and hate rather than disagreement. You can have disagreement and not have to project, label, assume 
what somebody else believes as well. Um, so you just got my mind thinking about that. I went back to that post from Braver Angels this week as you were saying that. So, yeah, absolutely um, incredible. Yep, I do a lot of work with Braver Angels. I love that organization. Yeah, I, I know you're. I know and that was why I kind of brought it up because I had it in my notes that you did some work there. What do you do? What is the work that you do and, and work with Braver Angels on? I am involved in a couple different projects with Braver Angels. Um, the We the People's Project is the primary uh, thing that I'm involved with, and what that is is, is it it started out as a as a kind of a working people's project and and giving voice to people who generally don't get a a voice or a chance to speak at the podium, and and having conversations with with just everyday Americans on on topics that that they may never get a platform to talk about. Um, and, uh, and so I'm part of the leadership committee on that particular project. And, and, uh, it's, it's been an incredible experience and, uh, we've, we've had some, some very, um, meaningful and insightful forums as a result of that. And so, so we do that, uh, that we, the people's, uh, project, I'm also involved in um, a uh, a larger spinoff project with um, uh, Dr. Francis Collins. If you're not familiar with Dr. Francis Collins, he is the former director of the National Institute of Health. He was the director of the National Institutes of Health until December of 2021. Uh, so he recently resigned. So he, he was he was a very big part of the government's response to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I am a very big critic of the government's response to the pandemic. And um, Dr. Collins and myself have been involved in a truth and trust kind of project now for, for a few months, having one-on-one conversations and, um, and having uh, uh, just, just different um, forums, you know, smaller forums with, with him and I, and just really getting to know each other, finding out more about each other because we are on opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, he is a, um, DC beltway bubble intellectual elite. And, uh, I am a, (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it, I'm just kind of a redneck from the Midwest that uh, has been blue collar most of my life. And, you know, has some opinions, some thoughts and opinions. And, uh, um, I'm, I, we just kind of share our stuff back and forth, trying to figure out a better way that people can trust the system a little bit more. Um, the next time something like this happens, cause something like this is bound to happen again, Michael. Sure. And right mm-hmm. now, there are so many people out there that have had they've just lost complete trust in our public health officials, in our government's ability to handle a situation like this. It's been a complete debacle. And, uh, you know, so so Dr. Collins and I have have those conversations and uh, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of candor and humility uh, brought to the table in those conversations even though him and I are, are completely opposite ends of the spectrum on just about everything involved in the topic. <laughs> and, uh, but we're having meaningful and, and civil conversations. And if, if him and I can do it, um, I think anybody can do it. So it's, it gives us a, a groundwork for a better trust between people of differing opinions, differing mindsets, even on something as toxic as that. That will be the toxic topic of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt. And we have to find a way to fix it. And uh, I'm just honored to be a part of that project. Wilk, I've got to commend you on that because I'd never heard that you were trying to change his mind in there. I no. never heard that he's trying to change yours. But what I am hearing is that you're trying to, each of you are trying to learn from the other so that you can then go and create something better in the future when, as you said, this inevitably happens again. Maybe it's not another pandemic, but it's something where we need to rely and trust in, in government and leadership to help pull us through. 
I love that. You're not trying, you disagree and you're not trying to change each other's mind. You're trying to learn and create new solutions moving forward, man. I, I just got to commend you on that. I don't have a question. I just got to commend you on that. That's fantastic, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, my last question for you then is, you know, I know you ask a lot of questions on your podcast. I certainly do here, but what is a question that you wish you were asked more? That's a great question. <laughs> that is an absolutely <laughs> great question. Um, you know, I think the question that I would be like, or I would like to be asked more is, can we all make a difference? I don't think too many, just kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, Michael, yeah. I think a lot of people just don't realize that they can make a difference. So I, I wish people had that in their mind. Can I make a difference? Because I will tell them, yes, you can. It just might not look as big and grandiose and extravagant as they want it to be. It might look a little bit smaller at first, right? To, to use mm-hmm. your words from earlier, your advice and, and perspective from earlier. Man, I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Wilk. I appreciate it. How can people connect with you, listen to the podcast? Where do you want to send folks so they can learn more about uh, the work that you do with D-Rate the Hate? Uh, my two websites, Wilksworld.com and DRateTheHate.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me on both those places. You can obviously catch uh, catch the podcast at deratethehate.com. We have uh, episodes that come out every week. And you can email me, wilk at wilksworld.com. And uh, I just hope to provide value in any way that I can. And, and uh, feel free to reach out. Appreciate it so much, brother. Best wishes to you and let's stay connected, all right? Take care, Michael. It's been a great pleasure. Dang, I loved that conversation with Wilk. Just fantastic, right? I mean, so many thanks to Wilk for joining me on my podcast. He had me on his, so go check that out. Link is in the show notes. But man, so many thanks to Wilk for coming on the show and sharing his perspective and his wisdom and his experience and story here on this episode. Please do me and Wilk a huge favor. Share this episode with someone you might know who might find some value in listening to our conversation today. Share this episode with your network. Help Wilk and me spread the good word about the importance of asking more questions and finding joy and love in the little things. And if you like the conversations with the amazing guests like Wilk that I have on the show each and every episode, subscribe so that you never miss when a new episode drops. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always email me at michael@thefollowupquestion.com, or you can go to michaelashford.com and reach out there. I'll catch you on the next episode of The Follow-Up Question. And until then, keep asking questions.